0: Bibles, and uh, turn to the book of Matthew. All right, we're taking a a week break from the book of Genesis, and we are going to uh, look at a a Christmas text that maybe is not your typical Christmas text. Okay, and so I decided to uh, uh, choose um, a genealogy actually for the Christmas text, uh, which is going to be interesting, uh, but. There's some good stuff here that I hope that we will glean from that, okay? And so Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read the uh, first 17 verses and uh, hopefully learn a lot from this genealogy of Jesus Christ. So why don't we stand as we read God's word, starting there in verse 1, Matthew 1 verse 1. And God help me not to put your names. Here we go. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Bijah, Bijah the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jehoiakim, I don't want to say that. And the brothers at the times of exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, there's it again, was the father of Shetiel. Shetiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel the father of Abihu. Abihu the father of Lykim. Lykim the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok the father of Achim, Akim the father of Elihu. Elihu the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mattan, Mattan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. You may take a seat. All right, so... We just read a genealogy, okay? And I said it's not your normal Christmas text. Uh, But there are a lot of good things here for us, okay? We all have family trees, right? We all have genealogies. Some of us have no idea about those genealogies, right? We're not like Pastor Santo and the the Ancestry.com nerds, you know? Um, Maybe we only know our grandparents, and that's about it. Maybe, you know, if we're lucky, our great-grandparents. But I bet there are some of us who can trace, like Pastor Santo, our generations of families back a long, long time ago. And for sure, if we had the time and desire and money, we could trace our family history and probably find some really interesting things. I myself have not done that. As far as I've gone, I actually went to Ellis Island one time, and I saw my great-grandfather who immigrated from Sweden, uh, and that was about as far as I went. But that was interesting. Uh, but we surely could, we could go back in time and probably find some very interesting people in our family line. Maybe it was a famous politician, right? Or maybe it was our great-great-uncle who fought in the Civil War. Or a great-great-grandma who was once a slave but gained great freedom and helped other slaves escape from slavery. Or maybe at one point there was a distant cousin who was royalty. I'm sure that if we went back in our tree, we would find very interesting things. But we also probably would find the opposite, right? Things that we don't want to know about, okay? Uh, I remember Santo sharing that he found out his great aunt or something like that said, Santo, don't go poking around, you know, where you don't want to go find things. And someone murdered somebody back in his family tree, and that's how he ended up here in the United States or the family. But uh, for some of us, we may find some of those things that we don't want to find. Maybe it's a murderer, a traitor, or a slaveholder, whatever it may be, things that we are ashamed of in our family tree, and yet, our family tree contains the good, bad, and the ugly, right? So as we look back at our family tree, we will see the good, bad, and the ugly, just like everybody else's family tree, and yet, when we're honest with ourselves, it's a part of our history, and it's a part of our family's history. The, the individual stories have meaning for the story at large. And the same is true of Jesus' genealogy as we look at it in the Scripture. Okay? In the Scriptures, genealogies play a really important role. We tend to kind of just move right past them, uh, maybe not even read them when we're reading through the Bible. We just kind of skip on to the next narrative or next story. But they play an important role. They're really stories of God's grace. They're stories of God's redemption throughout history and throughout time. And so these stories, all these names, these odd-sounding names that we read, they're all stories of God's grace, just like our story is a part of that as well. And so this morning, we're going to see that the surprising genealogy of Jesus Christ shows us God's serious love for serious, messed-up people. Okay? So God's serious love for a serious, messed up people. The first point is this, a surprising genealogy. What do I mean by that? Verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. See, up until recent times, genealogies were reserved for the most important people, okay? Only the most important people or only the most wealthy people could have their genealogies written down and recorded to be preserved for future generations. The poor and most most people, just in general, weren't able to have that pleasure or that opportunity. It was only those special people that had it written down, preserved for future generations. Now, surely, uh, you know, the ordinary people had their their genealogy passed down orally, but they couldn't write it down because it was too expensive. Um, And really, for most people, unimportant. But that's why, in one sense, it's surprising to find a genealogy for someone like Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Why do I say it's surprising? Well, for starters, Jesus Jesus and his family weren't nobility, okay? We know that from the scriptures. His father was a carpenter, okay? father was a carpenter. Secondly, Jesus wasn't rich, right? His parents were poor. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came to a poor peasant family. Another reason why he wouldn't have a genealogy written about him. Also, Jesus' family wasn't particularly powerful in the political realm. And so again, another reason why you would not see a genealogy. To the world, it seems like Jesus wasn't anything special. wasn't anything worth making a fuss over. The world would ask, why would the son of a carpenter of poor parents born to poverty in a little town called Bethlehem have a genealogy that would be preserved for thousands of years after his death? Why would he have one written about him? So in one sense, the genealogy itself is very surprising that we would find it recorded in scripture. But also it's surprising on a different level. And the different level is this. When you trace back Jesus' family history, we see some very important connections. Two of those are mentioned in that first verse. The son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, verse 1, when you hear that, to a Jewish audience, their ears would perk up, right? You're talking about the two most famous people, or two of the most famous people, in Jewish history. David and Abraham. And it would immediately ask the question, what connection is being made? Son of David. Who was David? He was the greatest of Israel's kings. A man after God's own heart. He was the greatest of the kings. And so here, Matthew is is trying to make a claim that Jesus is of this kingly line. See, the promised king that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. That all throughout the Old Testament, a king would come from this line that would save the people of God but it also says he's the son of Abraham right who was Abraham the father of the Jews you know that song father Abraham you know we teach the little kids founder of the Jewish religion in many ways he was the one whom God made a special covenant with and so again what is Matthew trying to do? He's trying to make a special connection with Jesus with Abraham some commentators point to it as, Jesus being the true Israelite. And so here we see these two important connections, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And Matthew's trying to show us that he comes from the most important family line in all of human history, even though on the surface he seemed like a nobody. So in these opening verses of this passage, we have elements of surprise from various angles, surprise from the world, Who sees no point and no purpose in having someone like Jesus, poor and unimportant, to have a genealogy for. And then surprise from the people of God to say, who is this one that is being called a son of David and a son of Abraham? Surprise is all around. But it also is surprising because we see a list of surprising characters in this text, which is our second point. Surprising characters. Remember, I said earlier that if we traced our own family history, we, we probably would find some very interesting characters, right? Some people that we would be surprised to see, are the ones that have gone before us. But as we look at Jesus' tree, we start to see some surprising characters. Most of the time, when we do a genealogy, we probably want to put our best foot forward, right? We probably want to leave the oddballs out, okay? that we probably do what's called a selective genealogy. Okay, The most important ones, the most famous ones, the ones who have their life together, that's who we'll put on the family tree. But not here. This is not what goes on. Let's take a look at some of these few surprising characters. The first one is women. Now women, why do I say women are surprising to find in this genealogy? Well they, they play a surprisingly important role in this genealogy, and normally, they wouldn't. This says something, I think, that Matthew is trying to convey to us about the kingdom of God for all genders and their importance to God. What women are mentioned here? Let's look. Here we see recorded Tamar. Who's Tamar? Judah's daughter-in-law, who, while posing as a prostitute, tricked Judah into sleeping with her and giving her a child. Let's go on to the next one. Rahab, another woman. A prostitute who saved Joshua and the spies, then in turn was saved when Jericho was destroyed. The next one, Ruth. We know Ruth from the story of uh, of the book itself, Ruth. And with Boaz, a faithful widow and daughter-in-law of Naomi, she found favor in the eyes of Boaz and gets married to Boaz, who's her kinsman-redeemer. Bathsheba is the next one. She's simply referred to as the the wife of Uriah. She doesn't even get her name put in here. She committed adultery with David. Finally, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now these women, why do I read that out to us? Because to a first century Jew, this would stick out. It would stick out because women would not normally be included in a genealogy, and yet they are. They are recorded in this genealogy. Matthew does it, I think, again, because it says something about the kingdom of God. It says something about the importance and the worth and the dignity and the value of all women in God's eyes. Women play a vital role in the kingdom of God and are not dispensable. The Gospels are clear about this, that women play a very important role in even the early times of the Gospel and Jesus' life and ministry. But it wasn't just women that are surprising characters in this genealogy. Also, we see Gentiles and sinners. What do I mean by that? Again, who do we brag about in our family history? We brag about the ones that seem to do the most important things or stand out as the highest character. And yet, there are screw-ups in our own families. Well, who's in this genealogy screw-ups? The genealogy of Jesus is earthy and realistic. One commentator says it's about Jesus. He comes from the human line, pimples and all. His own people, his own family needed him to save them from their sin. We start to see that even Jesus' family line was full of a bunch of sinners. And we see Gentiles here. Why is that again so important? Because Gentiles were the people that were outside of the covenant. They had no chance. Gentiles are most of the people in this room, right? Those that that weren't a part of the Jews, the Israelites. Gentiles like Tamar and Rahab. Sinners who were adulterers and murderers like the great king David. Or prostitutes like Rahab. Or wicked kings like Ahaz. Someone said that he worshipped the pagan gods of Assyria. He practiced human sacrifices. He even killed one of his own sons. He stripped the gold and silver from the temple and gave it to other kings. This genealogy is full of messed up people, sinners, Gentiles. It's wicked and sinful. And yet in another way we see this family tree is just like our own family tree. It's full of all kind of mess ups, all kind of people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, it's messy, it's complicated, and it's broken. When you take a good look at it, it makes you wonder, who is this person that, in one sense, comes from the most important family of all human history and yet contains some of the most sinful characters in it? Who is this person that would claim this complicated, messy family tree? Who would say, yeah, that's my family? This brings us to our last point, the surprising Savior. We've seen a surprising genealogy. We've seen a surprising characters in that genealogy. And now we focus on the point of this genealogy, which is the surprising Savior. See, in one sense, you could hardly expect the Savior of the world to come from such a family tree as this. And yet he does. This is his family tree recorded. One of the things Matthew does in his gospel is he carefully weaves the promises of the Old Testament that God made into the new, promise made, promise kept. We talk about that a lot at Christmas time. The promises made from all eternity and told throughout the people of God, throughout the whole Old Testament, the promises that people were waiting on and that they were kept in Jesus Christ. After all, a promise made is a promise kept for God. He can do no other. We see this beginning to come to fruition even in this family tree. For a moment, let's look at this. For example, when it says the son of David, Matthew isn't just name dropping here. Someone famous according to the Jews. He's making an important connection back to a promise that was made in the Old Testament. Listen to 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God is giving this promise to David, right? And if it was just given and meant to be about Solomon, then it wouldn't be a kingdom that lasts forever. And so there must be these multiple layers of fulfillment, right? Fulfillment in the sense that it's fulfilled in bringing of Solomon who would build that temple for the Lord but it also is speaking about one that, was to, that one was to come. A future Messiah, it wasn't just Solomon. There was a future son, a future Messiah, a future king that would be born from his line who would become the savior of the world. So what Matthew's doing is making this important connection inside the genealogy. One more thing, when it says the son of Abraham, this brings to mind another important promise that God made in the Old Testament and he keeps here in the new. Genesis 17 will be there soon. Uh, God says this to Abraham. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after me throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Again, Matthew is making a connection to an Old Testament promise and saying, I always keep my word. And I keep my word through Jesus Christ. And so when I say he's the son of David, and when I say he's the son of Abraham, I mean it. He is fulfilling a promise that I made and that I keep. That the Gentile nations, not just the Jews, would be able to hear the gospel, would be able to be reconciled to God, would be forgiven of their sins, invited into the family of God. People like you and me. And wrapped up all in this idea is the idea of the long-awaited Messiah all throughout the Old Testament. It speaks about the one who is to come, who will do all these things. We see this as we've been studying even in Genesis 3.15, right? We talk about this again and again as we've been studying Genesis. The promise that God initially made that someone from the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And at Christmas time, we celebrate that person coming to earth for people like you and me. See, this rescue or or deliver idea doesn't stop through the Old Testament. It goes all the way through into the New. And here in the opening chapters, uh, or the opening page of the New Testament, we see that this is the fulfillment of that promise made. He came just as he promised. And this is all what Matthew's gospel really is all about. It's what the angel told Joseph to, about his betrothed Mary. He said, she will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we see that even in a, a genealogy text, there is so much good stuff here for us to learn. Most of the time, pastors will rightly preach on maybe Matthew 1, where it talks about the angel visiting Joseph, and affirming that the child is the betrothed, uh, the one that is the, the child of his betrothed is Emmanuel, God with us, or maybe going to Luke's record of the Christmas story. And all of those things are good and well. And I encourage you guys to, to read those over the Christmas break. But also inside this genealogy text, there's something for us to see. I remember the first time that the seminary professor kind of opened up my eyes to some of these things, right? I was just like everybody else. I just read right over the genealogies, didn't give them the time of day. But we see some really rich things here, some rich gospel truth here for you and for me. This is the most special genealogy of all of human history. This genealogy contains the stories of God's grace over and over and over again. The grace that was shown to people like Tamar, to people like Rahab, to people like you and me. And really, it's just one part of the greater story of God's redemption of his people, right? The genealogy doesn't stop there, that we are all, by faith, part of this genealogy. Our stories of grace, our stories of how we became Christians of how we uh, were once lost but now are found, are all wrapped up in Jesus' family tree in one way or another. As we look upon Jesus in faith, the Jesus who was born to humble, lowly parents in the little town of Bethlehem, we become a part of this family. And that's where we can worship and adore the Lord together this morning. That we are a part of this family tree. That in one sense, it's a surprise that any of us end up a part of that family, right? It's a surprise that you and me, as bad as we are, as much as uh, uh, sin that we have in our lives, as much as we have ran from God, that we are a part of this family of God. And so it's a surprise to us just like a surprise that all these other people are included in that family tree. So I much want to encourage us as we take time to celebrate and to be with family and friends, and as we take time to to celebrate the time of Christmas, that we would take time to think about the story of God's grace. The story of God's grace in our life, the story of God's grace in our family's life, in our church's life, and really all throughout human history. And recognizing that by grace, we are a part of that story. And to learn things from things even like genealogy. Alright? Why don't we pray together? (laughs) Father, we thank you so much. Uh, Lord, that you love us. God, even the the parts of your word that we tend to skip over. Maybe the the parts that, if we're honest, seem kind of boring or uninteresting. That's still your word. And Lord, we still have things that we can learn from it. And so, Lord, we thank you for this brief time that we could focus on on you, Jesus. And as the, the Christmas hymn says, we pray that you would help us to come and to adore you. God, we pray that you would please help us to enjoy you this Christmas holiday. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts, that if there's any in here that do not know you, that have not repented of their sins and put their faith in you, Jesus, that they would become a part of the family of God today. God, we just we, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray that you would just be with us as we celebrate Christmas holiday. We pray this in Jesus' name.